Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Jordan is on best. Harper's on Miller. play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday, shot clock down to six. Finds Warren. Here's a long three. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started today, if you haven't already, please be sure to rate and review us over at Apple Podcasts. We always want to hear from you, get your feedback. Uh, really psyched today to be joined by a friend of the program, Dan Clayton from over at Salt Lake City Hoops. I mean, Salt City Hoops, not Salt Lake City. Um, Dan, how are you doing today, man? Doing well. Uh, we got some daytime basketball to to sink our teeth into. And, and now that the Jazz and Pacers are done, excited to go over an eventful an eventful game. Uh, Certainly. You know, big runs both ways, a big injury, lots of um, lots of intrigue in this one. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'd be remiss too if I didn't start off. I, you know, I just hope that everyone is. Uh, I mean, of course, people are not okay uh, after what happened at the uh, at the FedEx yeah. facility this morning, in Indiana. Um, nothing that that we can really do about it in the moment. Um, but just there, there's clearly some some stuff that needs to change in our country, and it's been that way for a while. And it's just frustrating that this stuff keeps happening. Um, be wrong if we didn't hit on it. So uh, prayers out to the, to those people, and um, you know, whichever way. They would want it. Um, so like you mentioned with injury, luckily stuff came out after the game that Donovan Mitchell, it's looking just like an ankle sprain right now, which considering how it looked at the moment and the way that injuries have gone recently, uh, that seemed like a plus. Um, it's still not great. Um, what, what were your initial reactions uh, when that happened? You know, I, I, I try, I try to do my best to fight the instinct of, um, of doing the Twitter doctor thing or, 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 you know, the, the armchair doctor thing only because I've covered so many injuries and, and covered players up close while they were dealing with injuries and watched how it affected them as humans to see fans and media engage in kind of the guessing game. And, and um, you know, that's, that's tough on, on players as human beings. I, I, you know, I will say um, the impact didn't look terrible, but his reaction to it, and, yeah. and the fact that he just couldn't put any weight on it as he was leaving the court, that's what I think looked scary. Um, I don't know. Look, I, like, I, I don't know. I don't watch a ton of Edmund Sumner. I, I don't know what the heck he was thinking on that play. Um, I'm not saying that he did anything intentional, but it was dangerous to, to sweep your leg under a player that's in the air. Um, you know, I, I, I wish he'd thought better of that in the moment. And who knows? Maybe because Donovan was already, you know, high up in the air. Maybe he was he was vulnerable. Maybe he still would have come down awkwardly. Maybe he still would have twisted something. But it just looked like 
um, it was made worse by Sumner, you know, really sweeping under him in the, you know, in the middle of that play. So, um, you know, encouraged to hear that, that it doesn't look like a, a severe ankle sprain, but again, you know, until we hear more about timelines, I, I, I almost don't want to guess and like yeah. put pressure on a guy to conform to this timeline or that timeline. You just have to see, cause every injury is different and every body is different. And, um, you know, just, I think the jazz probably are feeling right now, like they, like they dodged a bullet, but you know, whatever time they're without him, that's going to be, that's going to be hard on them. They're in the middle of a, of a pretty intense race to try to hold on to that number one spot with Phoenix coming hard. Yeah, definitely. And I think, uh, I mean, just as a quick aside too, how have you felt about um, everything in general with the way that the schedule is shaken out, um, especially since the all-star break? Um, I mean, we saw Jamal Murray go down recently. Yeah. Uh, which that, that sucked. Um, it, I mean, injuries always suck, but it's just, it's different this year. Jeff Stotts from uh, at in street clothes. He's fantastic. I'm sure you know who he is to everyone listening. Yeah. Of course, follow his stuff. Probably the best injury analyst out there um like injuries have been rough this year in the way that they're impacting teams um it just it you know i, I don't know it, we can't exactly create like our own solution out of it but it's just it keeps bringing up a lot of questions for me of how do you even feel about the way that the nba has handled this season because it's been frustrating like there are so many teams playing like like nine games in 14 days uh all this stuff and a lot of people are like well you know it's their job they get paid to do that yes they do but it's not just the games you know like guys are having to travel. It's, it's not just sitting stationary at home. Um, it's, you know, if you're in the bubble, it's one thing because you're, you're there, you don't have to worry about traveling. You don't have to worry about going all over the place. Everything's there and it's concrete and it's happening there. Um, I don't know. I just think it's, uh, this season just keeps getting a little bit more difficult to analyze by the day. You know, it's, it's tough. It's tough for me to say that like, oh, hey, this injury or that injury definitely happened because of a lack of rest. At the same yeah. time, you know, we do know that like when your hip is tired because you've been playing a lot of basketball, that affects your whole chain of movement, right? And any yeah. orthopedist would tell you that, you know, if, you're, if your ankle's sore, that's going to put your back at risk. If your back is sore, that's going to put your knee at risk and whatever. Like there's this whole kinetic chain that, um, that matters, you know, I back back when I used to be in locker rooms a lot and talk to guys about this stuff, what, what players told me pretty consistently, and I don't know how this applies to the injury conversation and what's happening this season. And, and certainly it's a, it's a compressed schedule. Although like Tim McMahon tweeted some stuff that he was obviously fed from the lead, the league office <laughs> yeah, that of basically said, Hey, you know, it's compressed, but it's like 3.7 games per week as opposed to 3.46 game or whatever the numbers were like, it's, like it's compressed, but you know, it's also like, it's not bonkers. It's not like teams are playing five times a week. Um, but anyway, what, what I was told by several players back in the day, and this is kind of maybe in an older era, we're talking about like the two thousands NBA, but a lot of guys said to me that as tough as the physical thing of playing on back-to-back nights or three and five or four and six or five and seven or whatever frequency of game. It's the mental part. It's the mental part of knowing that you have to prepare for an opponent, an opponent, you have to game plan. You have to read the scouting report of the guy you're going to guard. And then you have to understand the scouting reports of all these other guys that you might wind up on in a switch or, you know, someone might get injured or in foul trouble. And now you got to step up and guard Dame Lillard or whoever. So I think that as much as anything that comes into it and, and frankly, even before Donovan's injury, that's kind of, that's how the game felt to me. It just kind of felt like an out of control, ugly, um, you know, 
a, a game where there was some real mental fatigue and um, and give Indy credit, like the Pacers were playing hard too, and and um, the Jazz weren't dealing with that particularly well. But partially because of that, it just kind of felt sloppy and and like it just kind of felt like one of those games where. You know, when you watch games and you're like, oh man, I, I hope nothing happens in this game because yeah. it's just one team's hitting and getting into the other team and getting under the other team. And the other team looks tired, not really handling it well. And like those sometimes can be a recipe for, for disaster. And it turned out that it was. So again, I, you know, I don't know if it's because Donovan has been playing a lot of basketball. I don't know if it's because he was mentally fatigued and not, but it, you know, again, it just felt a little helter skelter. And then obviously you know, that happened and now the Jazz have to figure out how to deal with it as Denver's doing with the Jamal injury and, and a bunch of other, you know, LeBron's missed a month now or close to a month. AD's hopefully close to coming back. So as you mentioned, it's just been a weird year for all of that. Sorry for the long one. No, you're answer. good, man. I mean, hey, we're, we're here for long-winded answers. I think uh, my biggest thing off that is like, I totally agree. That was, I think that was the first note that I, I wrote down. I was like, you know, I've watched the Jazz play 30 or 40 times this year. So I'm like, this is not, I mean, this is not what Utah's is. This is not Utah playing in the first half. Um, and like you mentioned, I thought the Pacers played pretty well, but um, they I mean, did. turning over the ball like almost 20 times and a half is, is very much not Jazz-like this year. Um, and yeah. I, I did think, though, my biggest takeaway from the game was Rudy was, I mean, just he he owned that second half. Like he was good in the first half too, but once he felt everything out and they uh, they kind of, honed in a little bit more on the, at the point of attack on the perimeter. I mean, Rudy showed why he's defensive player of the year this year. Um, I mean, he was absurd. Yeah. He, he's just one of those like basketball sociopaths. And I mean that in the best way possible. Like he takes this crap really personally. Yeah. So when Sabonis kind of eats his lunch a few times, which let's be honest, Sabonis was eating Gobert's lunch in the first half. He was, he was having a good game. And part of that is because Utah's perimeter defense wasn't great. And Rudy was reacting to that. And then, you know, then it makes it tough to get back to a guy who has mm. skill out to the, to the long mid range and even the three point line. And, but, uh, but yeah, whenever, whenever you see a guy just really kind of get the better of Rudy, um, there's a, there's a better than even money chance <laughs> that Rudy is going to really respond to that and, and come back. And I, and I felt like he did that in the second half, I, you know, in the third quarter, he really shut Sabonis down for a stretch. And then after that, I think he got in to his head enough that then you started seeing Sabonis, you know, get in some of those same situations and, you know, make the short roll pass instead of continuing towards the basket, because, you know, he had, he'd been blocked by Rudy. He'd been shut down by Rudy. He'd missed tough shots against Rudy. So I do think that that was one of the biggest um, subplots of the game. And one of the things that really defined, you know, you know, in a tale of two halves, like this one was, there was really, also two halves to the Sabonis Gobert matchup. And, um, you know, ultimately it was Gobert that I think had the last say there. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I mean, the block that he had in the third quarter was, uh, I mean, that was telling enough. Um, that was, yeah, that, it really felt like the game started to shift right there. Uh, and like you're mentioning too, I mean, I think the biggest thing for me was just looking at the Pacers individually, like Malcolm and Karras could not get to the rim once the fourth quarter started and they were actively just not even looking at the rim at a certain point, um, you know, and that's considering that I think right now they're still second, either first or second in the league in percentage of shots taken at the rim. That opens up so much for what they're doing from the outside. Like when they end up taking close to 43s in a game, almost all of them are losses because they're not able to drive. Like, I mean, everything they do is built off of driving and, 
and trying to create from there. And if they're not getting there and they're not able to really get more open shots out of it, then, you know, it hurts them for sure. Um, it was wild too, because in the first half, I mean, it helped like Harris was making a lot of shots that were, uh, I, I don't want to call them bad shots for him. Like there he's, he's at a point as a mid range shooter where it's like, um, it's like, ju- it, it, it's like just close enough where it's like, all right, well, if you make, you make an extra one you're like well perfect you know it's uh it's good enough for you to be taking it but then there are other times where he can kind of fall in love with it and uh uh like i remember when i was boxing my uh my coaches always used to say you're falling in love with your punch like you know you stop and, and look look for a second like wow i did that and it feels like that sometimes when karis instead of getting to the rim and getting downhill he'll, he'll pull up um and try and take one of those and he's good at it but you can do so much more for the offense by just collapsing the defense entirely um, and that's not, to, I mean, not to besmirch him. He probably had the best game out of anybody on Indiana today, but, uh, it felt like that a little bit down the stretch. And I mean, in that, that second half, I mean, that first half in that second quarter, you could argue, I mean, the Pacers could have gone, been up by 15 or 20 at, at the end. Oh, yeah. And of course they let up that massive run with some really crappy turnovers and frankly, just poor defense. And, uh, that was killer. I mean, I think, uh, I want to say Kristen Neri said today, this was the, fourth or fifth game where the Pacers have had a 15 point lead and then they end up losing anyways. So it's a very telling of the 2021 Pacers. Sixth, I think. Yeah. I yeah. think there were 16 and five this season when leading by 15 points before, before the loss. So, so nobody has had more losses up 15 or more in the NBA yeah. than, than the Pacers. So that, you know, I mean, now obviously today they were also going up against a team that was 41 and 14. Yeah. But you know, to me, I think, I think you're right about like getting to the rim in the first half. They, they were getting to the rim, but I think a lot of that was happening in transition. Yes. Um, you know, again, Utah's offensive execution was just really sloppy in the first half. Um, a lot of turnovers, a lot of one pass or no pass possessions where they just jacked up you know, the first three that was available, which look, I mean, like Utah is a three point shooting team. That's part of their DNA. I think they're a lot better when they get the ball in the paint first and then see what that opens up as defenses react to that and, and still get their shots off that way. But, um, but, but yeah, so, so Utah had a bunch of misses and a bunch of live turnovers and Indiana in the first like quarter and a half of the game was scoring 2.4 points per transition possession. That's bonkers. It would be like a record breaking game if that had held up. Eventually what happened is that the Jazz started executing better and that forced Indiana to play them in the half court. And really Utah's half court defense, if you just talk about half court and not what happened when Utah executed poorly and allowed the Pacers to run back at them, Utah's half court defense was pretty solid throughout this game and wound up at a 77.7 offensive rating in the half court for Indy. So, you know, once Utah settled down and and got to their stuff, I think that obviously changed how easy it was for guys like Levert, but also for Brogdon and TJ McConnell and some of these other guys like McConnell. Look, you know, he's another guy who had a couple plays where he made Rudy look a little bit frozen in time, right? Guys do this now where they'll drive and they'll get into Rudy's body and then they'll lean back and take the leaner in sort of that short mid-range area. And Indy was getting a lot of their half court stuff in that short mid range early in the game. And, you know, that's kind of a tip your hat shot. If TJ McConnell wants to shoot fading over Rudy Gobert, like that's kind of a shot yeah, that you like say, man. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, you know, ultimately I think the jazz sort of trusted the law of averages in their half court defense, but obviously they just, they had to stop the track meet. And in order to stop the track meet, that meant they had to execute their own stuff better on their end. 
Yeah, definitely. And you bring up a lot of great points. Like, first of all, I mean, uh, TJ has been fantastic from, from the short mid range area. I think he's shooting like almost 60% from there, uh, yeah. not after tonight, but again, like, like you're mentioning, like if you're doing it over Rudy, like it's yeah, your, your percentages I mean, he, are not going to be close to their season average, but he had like two or three of those in the first yeah. half. If I'm remembering, right. Maybe I'm remembering wrong. No, no. I think attributing I some of them. Right. Let's see. He had, I guess he only had two buckets. So, but, but I think both of them were sort of, you know, probing in getting Rudy on his heels and then hitting the short mid range. So, you know, again, props to him. That's, that's one way to make it work against the defensive Rudy Gobert there, right? There are things you can do. A guy can't take away everything. And that's a shot that the jazz have largely decided they're going to concede to the delight of players like TJ McConnell, and especially like Chris Paul and Bradley Beal and these other guys who are like the, the modern games, true mid range wizards, you know, that's a shot that sometimes you can get against the jazz defense and, and TJ did a good job there. Yeah, definitely. And um, like you mentioned with the law of averages too, like I, I think that's why I felt going into half. I, I tweeted out that, you know, the Pacers had had, a, you know, it was about as good of a, a half as they could have hoped to go for other than the last probably two minutes in the second. I was like, but this Utah team, they shot six of 20 from three in the first half. And I've just, I've watched too many games this year to know that Utah is not going to shoot six of 20 again in a half. Right. And that, that held up, you know, that, that law of average 100% uh, was was unfoiled as they just hit everything from outside in the second. Um, I think, like you're mentioning, like I think there's a, a a big attribution from people this year who maybe aren't as close to the Jazz uh, that they're just sim- similar to last year. And while they have like some similarities, the offense is just so different. Like what, like I mean, it's as close to the beautiful game Spurs as I've seen in in a couple of years. Not quite to that level, you know, because you don't have maybe the same individual scores. Um, well, I mean, it's close, you know, it's, it's always a toss up, but like that, it's just hard to compare something to that and be like, yeah, it's exactly like that. But point being, I mean, you have eight guys who are all like credible, fantastic three point shooters. They're all smart, quick decision makers. There's nobody who's really stopping the ball. Um, and I think Jordan Clarkson has been fantastic with that this year. Like we went from, you know, that, that used to be the main concern with him. And now um, they've been able to fit there, there. There are moments still, but like he, they've been able to work him into the offense in a way where it's like, okay, this makes sense. And it's just, um, they, they make it happen. And I think that they play such a good brand of defense that um, if the offense isn't going, you you're not as worried about it. Cause it used to be with Utah. Um, like if, if they don't have the offense going to at least a, a decent level, and even just a quarter, then it's like, okay, well, it's, that's all she wrote because you're, you're asking for a lot to, you're asking Donovan Mitchell to go grind out, you know, 15 straight possessions and hope to get back in the game, but it's different now. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com with over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day. Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Yeah, I mean, really, all of their non-bigs in the rotation are three-point threats, and and that's by design. They 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 wanted to build a roster that way. Um, you know, they've spent they've spent money to design the roster that way, and and now they're gonna be a tax-paying team for the first time in like ten years. So, you know, look, there's um, th- that's how they've decided to hang their hat. Now, at the same time, they still have a top three defense. Yeah, e- even though you know, if you look, if you really go position by position, 
I think most of their perimeter defenders are net minus defenders or, or like break even defensive players on a good day. Right. Like, yeah. like bogey, when he was with Indiana, he had that one series against LeBron where he got a bunch of headlines and talk. And, but you know, since then he's been mostly pretty average on defense. And sometimes when he guards smaller, quicker players, worse than average. Right. Donovan Mitchell isn't a particularly great defensive player, although he can lock down for stretches. Jordan Clarkson's not great there. Mike Conley's good, but he's small. Um, you know, Royce O'Neal is really their only real positive defender on the wing. And yet they've, they've had this top three defense all year long. And it's because they've decided to play a certain way. And they've, they've really decided that like, Hey, we're going to make guys run at Gobert. We're going to, we're going to dare guys to take on Rudy Gobert. They'll live with that gamble. Their, their rim defense is actually down this year. They're, they're not having the best rim defense here, but it's because they're just rolling out the red carpet and saying, we're going to chase you off the three-point line. We're going to say, go deal with that seven foot two piece of human there in the middle. And, you know, we'll live with the results and, and it's largely worked for them. Um, so, yeah, but, but you're right. I, I think it is more of a two-way jazz team than a lot of casual, casual fans will, will recognize. You're really talking about a team that has the best, like, you know, offense, the best net rating, in meaningful situations since like the early warriors. Right. Like, and again, that's not to make the the comparison because that's too lofty a comparison, but you know, the fact that they, the fact that they can win games in a few different ways is I think what makes them special and dangerous. Although, you know, obviously a lot less dangerous if they're going to be without Donovan for any length of time. Yeah, definitely. Um, Well, I want to hit on one more Pacers thing before we hit uh, on a couple more big picture things, but uh, in looking at, uh, just kind of some of the bench guys. Uh, I thought one of the things that was m- more frustrating, um, just from an observational standpoint, I thought the shot selection is what became really killer. And it's part of what's difficult yeah. with playing the Jazz because once um, once things start to wind down and and they were able to get set in defense more in the half court, um, I mean, you have Aaron Holiday, that in transition three was, oh, that was, that was ugly. Um, he's the, always the been all one. Bit. Is that? Yeah, the, he he took a pull up, and I think it was the third quarter, and that was uh, okay. it was it was a little bit painful because he missed like very <laughs> wide right. Um, but yeah, it, he he had a stretch. He he had like two buckets and like two or three possessions, and it looked like he was going to have one of those moments where he starts to take over a game a little bit because he's like the, I mean the last two weeks I don't know how much you've seen, but like he uh he's shooting like sixty five percent from the field and and fifty percent from three over like the last two weeks it's been ridiculous. Did not happen tonight. Uh, just didn't have it going. Uh, I, I applaud him for trying to go at Rudy Gobert. Did not go well. Um, O'Shea Brissett, I was really happy with. That's kind of like one of the underlying storylines. Um, there's just been nobody on this team with TJ Warren out that can play the four or is four-sized, yeah. and he gave good minutes. He's on a 10-day contract still, and I think um, that they're going to sign him for the rest of the season. That's not really reported or anything, but <laughs> given that he's actually been playing um, and he's playing over guys who – um, are, are meaningfully on the roster already. Like, I, I think it's going to happen. He brings stuff offensively. Uh, the length and just mobility on defense has been huge for them. Um, and he's able to bolster the bench a little bit. And then uh, I'd ask you too, what did you think of, Go- of Goga Bataze tonight? Yeah, he, yeah, that's the other guy I was going to mention. I actually think like that first Goga Brissette stretch was really what, like that was where I felt like, oh, the Jazz are in trouble because yes. – 
those two guys just played with so much more energy than anybody the Jazz had on the court at that time. Um, you know, Goga is, he's obviously difficult because he's got real legitimate range. Um, you know, he's not going to shoot three or four every night, obviously. Yeah, no, definitely not. And, and that's why that tonight is, was so welcome, man. He's been uh, right. Yeah. But, but again, I mean, you know, a lot of that is like, look, if, if the guards can't stay in front of people, then the bigs have to react. Mm-hmm. And, and let's remember that tonight, the Jazz's backup big was not Derek Favors. Yep. It was Ersan Ilyasova, and that makes a difference, right? So you got, you know, bigs lunging at the ball, and then guys like Goga can just step back and, and take a completely uncontested jumper. So, you know, that certainly helps him in, in that context. But just then the energy he, ha- he had, I think he had a big offensive rebound play, um, just in general, he was a lot more active. He and Brissett were a lot more active mm-hmm. than, than anybody else for the jazz in that stretch. And I, and it was the first time I really felt the jazz do this thing with their rotation. I'm actually really curious to see if they'll find a way to keep doing this with Donovan out, but they basically, they, they start the game with their starting five. They sub out Rudy and Mike really early. Yeah and bring in a couple bench players to play with this sort of first hybrid unit that's built around Donovan Mitchell. And then when Donovan Mitchell finally goes to the bench to have his first sit, they bring Conley and Gobert back and play with a second hybrid bench unit that's built around those two guys, Joe Ingles, Jordan Clarkson, and usually George Niang. And, and that group is playing against the opposing team's bench unit. And that five-man group has just been smash mouth all year. They're like plus 15 in net rating or something like that. Because you're talking about, again, five real, four really skilled offensive players around Gobert, who's this elite diving big who, who plays great defense and, and who's smothering. And you're playing that group against the other team's bench. Like that team is just, that, that group has just had a, an insane advantage. And they didn't tonight. And the games that Utah has lost, it's, it's almost always been because, you know, that group didn't quite have the advantage that they, that they usually have on a, on a particular night. So there's just some, you know, there's some weird lineup magic there that Quinn Snyder has been able to tap into. And when suddenly a couple of energetic guys just said like, no, look, you're not going to boat race this group of, of reserves that, uh, that can signal problems for Utah sometimes. Yeah, definitely. And I think that was, uh, I mean, knowing that going into, cause I, I mean, I've loved that Quinn found that and was able to make it work. Cause it seems like something that should be easy, right? Like, well, just stagger your starters. Well, you have to find the chemistry and ability to do that. And, and they have, and, um, like you're mentioning, I mean, they're just able to blitz bench units. And so that, I mean, as soon as, I mean, the game was, was, was pretty tight going into when the Pacers finally put their bench in. And I was yeah. like, all right, well, this is, this is showtime. What's going to happen here? This is because it's either going to swing, uh, they're either going to keep it even or it's going to swing 12 points for, for the jazz. And they actually got a lead out of it. And I was like, okay, all right, things are happening. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, O'Shea didn't, I don't think he got much run uh, past the third quarter. Goga he didn't. did not either. Um, but re- regardless, I've just been happy that they're getting run because I think, uh, I mean, when, when they played Utah the first time was around the first time that Goga started getting consistent minutes and he was like a fish out of water then. So seeing him get the minutes that he is now and, He's been a consistent um, – I mean, it's helped, uh, unfortunately, because Miles Turner's been out for about a week and a half now. But right, um, Doga's been looking great, so it's been cool to see that. And it, it makes things a little bit murkier with the center room moving forward. But regardless, it uh, it never hurts to have more talent on the roster. Um, Definitely. But, uh, yeah, so I want to ask you a couple more long-term questions before I get you out of here with the Jazz. Uh, you got it. Obviously, the I mean, of course, you watched the Phoenix-Utah game. Um, I did not love some of the takeaways from it. I Like, I think – 
the Jazz got hammered for it a little bit, and I didn't understand it necessarily. I thought, um, I mean, overall, maybe the best game just in terms of watchability of the season. Um, a lot got made. Uh, I mean, a lot of people were like, oh, well, go Bears getting cooked. I'm like, no, that's just their scheme. Like, they're, they want they want people to take shots from the mid-range. You could maybe step them up a little bit more, but that's, that's you know, it's a playoff tweak. You find ways to work around that. What were your thoughts coming out of uh, out of the Phoenix matchup? Uh, that Chris Paul is amazing. He's and, so good. And <laughs> still the point God. I mean, he's, um, I, I'm just trying to pull up that game to, to refresh, um, you know, some of my, cause, cause yeah, I mean, I agree. Look, like I say, the jazz, the jazz want people to come into the lane and see Gobert and crap their pants and pull up short. Like that's, that's in it. Like in a, eight second description of the jazz's defense. That's it. Right. Yeah. The problem when you're facing Chris Paul and even Devin Booker, by the way, like, you know, Devin Booker has some clutch issues this year and, and whatever, but like both of those guys are really freaking good in the mid range. Um, what's crazy about that game is that again, and I don't mean to like get too overly focused on this one way of looking at defensive efficiency, but in the half court on first shots, Utah held Phoenix to 81.5 in that game, which is like, that's elite. Even if you're not facing the best offense in the NBA or one of the best offenses in the NBA. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but what happened was in order to get that, you had to have Rudy challenging out further away from the basket. And then Aiton was able to sneak behind him and get rebounds. Like it was all just about the, the offensive rebounding for Phoenix in that game. If it weren't for second chance points, Utah would have won that game in regulation by, you know, eight or 10. And, and Hey, look, that's part of the game. That's part of what Utah has to solve for. Utah is small at pretty much every position other than center. Right. I mean, um, you know, depending on who you call the power forward out of, and it doesn't really matter in Quinn Snyder's system. Like there's, there's just, a point guard, three wings and a big <laughs> the way yeah. Snyder plays. But, you know, depending on what you consider Royce O'Neal versus Bogdan or Boyan Bogdanovich, um, you know, one of those probably has decent size at the three, but like, other than that, you're pretty much small at every position going down the line. And, and even Bo, you know, bogey doesn't play huge. Yeah. He's big and he's got good length that, you know, especially if you're, especially if he's kind of spiritually your three in a particular defensive setting, but he doesn't really like contest with great verticality. He doesn't really like swallow players up that way with his size. So, you know, Don is small for a two. Mike Conley is small for a point guard. Um, you know, they, they don't have a, a big power forward type. So, you know, if it becomes a question of, you know, those four guys rebounding against an opposing team's, you know, in opposing teams bigs, that's going to be a problem. Sometimes it, frankly, it was the reason why they struggled the other night against Washington too. And Washington is nowhere near as good as Phoenix, but Washington also has a guy like that who Rudy has to honor him in the mid range and Bradley Beal. And as soon as Rudy steps out, it becomes the responsibility of everybody else to gain rebound and, and the jazz do well at that some nights, but when they don't, it's really hard to beat a team with a, with a great mid range threat. Yeah, definitely. And I think the Pacers have struggled a lot with that too um, because they play miles in center, center field a lot. And the backline yeah. rotations are, uh, are just a thing to behold in the wrong way most of the time. So um, <laughs> yeah, long rebounds are, are killer to the Pacers. Um, it's interesting because like looking at the Phoenix matchup in general, 
I thought, like you're mentioning, um, a lot of things had to go wrong for, for, for Utah in that game. And I thought Phoenix played one of their better games of the year. Like DeAndre Ayton has been mm. the biggest hinge for me on, on what to even think about Phoenix, because obviously we know Chris Paul is fantastic. Devin Booker has been great this year. I love um, like pretty much one through 10 on that team is really great. Um, but it's just like with Aiton in general, um, he's been like, he, he had another good game yesterday against the Kings um, and was fantastic against Utah. But so often, like he's, he's having the polar opposite of that or not even polar opposite. That's a little bit reductive, but like, instead of being assertive and attacking the offensive glass and getting easy looks on mismatches and taking advantage of it um, and being really active and switchable on defense and, and attentive and engaged, that's not routinely what he's doing. And it's part of it. I mean, he's a third year player. So it's asking a lot of a guy to be ready to compete on a, on a contending team. But at the same time, like, I just don't know if I have faith in that happening, like all the time moving forward, which is why I still am really confident in this Utah team. So I guess that kind of feeds into my next thing. I mean, how do you feel about their uh, them moving forward um, into the playoffs? Because I mean, we're getting relatively close to it. Which yeah. Is kind of weird, but yeah, you know, I still think, and and obviously, big question mark hanging over everything right now with Donovan yeah. Wright. Like, if he misses a week as opposed to three weeks, then you know, let's let's change it. Or if it, or if it's worst case scenario and it's, you start to talk about five to six weeks, and now he's missing game one and game two of of a first round series or whatever. But let's just assume the best for a second and say you know, a healthy jazz team versus a healthy Phoenix team or a healthy jazz team versus a healthy Clippers or Lakers team. I, I still think that the jazz are probably, um, you know, uh, let's, let's say generously, let's say they're a coin toss against the LA teams in a best of mm -hmm. seven series. If everybody's healthy. Um, I, I do like, I do believe in the jazz. I do believe that they'd have a shot there. 50, 50 might be a little generous, but you know, like, those are, those are great teams, but they're also going to have to come up with a solution for Rudy. Neither of those teams, you know, like Anthony Davis is going to play some center for sure. If that's, if that's the second round matchup and, and, you know, that's going to test Rudy, but then, you know, he's got to do some things on the other end that, that are going to make his life difficult. The Clippers and jazz, the jazz have actually matched up pretty well against the Clippers in, in recent history. Um, last year, they took two out of three. This year, they've taken two out of three, but one of those was with a skeleton crew because Clip, the Clippers rested everybody. So they have two kind of more or less full strength versus full strength matchups, and they split them. Um, and, you know, again, the Clippers just don't really have anybody to deal with Gobert's size, and that's been a big advantage for Utah. But but they do have defensive players who can who can complicate things for Donovan Mitchell. Um you know, they're still, the Clippers are still crazy good. If you look at their record in just the games where Paul George and Kawhi Leonard have been healthy, they're, they're still like, everybody should be afraid of the Clippers still. Yeah. Um, if it was Jazz Suns in a seven game series, I, you know, I like the Jazz there. I, I think it's not as like a foregone conclusion. Like I still think it would be a tough series and it could unfold a lot of different ways and neither outcome would surprise me, but like, it's better than a coin toss. Let's put it that way. And then obviously, you know, the Denver news, like just what a huge bummer because um, as fun as that Donovan Mitchell, Jamal Murray showcase was last year, um, it just, it would have been really fun to see what Murray's follow-up to that was. And, yeah. and, you know, the Nuggets were real too. The Nuggets were right there with, you know, I, I, I think the contender class in the West pre-Murray pre injury was LA, LA, Utah, Denver, right? And, you know, pick your pick your pecking order among those four. But I really thought that those four were the, were the true contenders Phoenix, maybe a half tier down really close, but 
you know, nobody outside of Chris Paul on their roster. Well, Chris Paul and I guess Jay Crowder um, has much playoff experience. And sometimes you kind of have to learn, go learn to lose in the playoffs before you can learn to win yeah, in the playoffs. Definitely. So, you know, like that's, that's the thing is, is that was going to be a really fun um, contender class to watch those four teams duke it out. And it's a, it's a real bummer that we don't get to see Jamal as part of that, but you know, I, I, I still, I do. I, I think Utah is really good. I, I, they're not without weaknesses. There are certain types of players that can, um, that can test both their offense and their defense. And, um, but you know, like you said, that's the kind of thing you solve for in a seven game series, right? It's, it's checkers for 72 games and then it's chess and the jazz are going to have a chance to game plan specifically around, you know, what do we do to neutralize this? What do we do to still score against this type of defense? And, you know, historically they've, they've been, um, they've been competitive in, in most of it, even the Houston series from two years ago that I think the national narrative on that series is that, you know, Houston ran away from the jazz. They, the jazz were able to take Houston's record setting offensive efficiency and they were able to hold them to like 100 points per possession for five games the only reason why that series was as lopsided as it was is because utah didn't have anybody who could make an open three like that was literally like so you know i i think that's what i mean when i say like once it comes down to schemes and and really game planning with a specific opponent in mind i think that it'll unlock some subplots in both directions that'll make any of those any of those series i just mentioned um, a lot more intriguing, but you know, again, I don't know how it's going to play out. I don't know. Cause there are four really, really good teams in the West plus Denver. And there are 3.5 really, really good teams in the East. It's, it's as wide open as I, as I can remember in terms of, you know, teams who can sit here today and really feel like they have title hopes. Yeah, exactly. And like you mentioned, I mean, anything can happen over the next couple of weeks leading in. Um, so we really have no idea. I mean, this could completely different conversation um, in three weeks heading into the first round of the playoffs. Um, yeah. And I think the last thing that I'd hit on too, like that you mentioned with the experience, I mean, I think this is where it comes into, uh, you know, all the, all the people in, in national media and just in general, I know Utah fans on their own can be a little bit ruthless uh, just from, from having connections to Utah Twitter Um you know, there I, were a lot of, people. I apologize on behalf of my, <laughs> my friends yeah. and neighbors. Oh, I'm sure they're great people, but I understand <laughs> like uh, it, it's bad with the Pacers this year too, man. But uh, no, I, I mean, a lot of people were calling for this team to blow things up uh, at the end of the season last year. Um, and now you look and like you mentioned with playoff experience, I mean, this is a group that's had, you know, four, four straight years of making the playoffs. It's right around there. Um, uh, yeah. 2017. Yeah. yeah this'll be the fifth 17, yeah. 18, 19, 2021. 20, yeah. And that matters like that. That matters. It Having does. That experience matters. So I'm a, I'm really excited to see this group play because I've loved watching Utah play this year. Um, hopeful for some more Mia Oni and uh, Gerald Brantley minutes moving forward. That's like my, my lifeblood, man. They're going to be part of the rotation <laughs> moving forward at some point. Um, Dan, where can people find you at? And you have any uh, closing thoughts before we get out of here? Yeah. So I'm at Dan Clayton on Twitter, but it with a zero for the O. So Dan Clayton, zero N. Um, and then my, my written work is all at saltcityhoops.com. Uh, no final thoughts other than, you know, I mean, I think you just said it right. Like the jazz, the jazz could have flinched last, last off season. Even if you look at the season they've had this year, there were, there were plenty of opportunities. Like bogey was struggling for a, a solid month and a half, right? Yeah. Jordan Clarkson has been struggling. There were plenty of times where they could have overreacted to, you know, something that was happening in the short term. But I think if you want to be great, at some point you have to trust in what you've built and just ride it out. And, and I 
think that that's part of the reason why the Jazz are poised to, um, you know, probably hang on to this to this top seed and go into the playoffs as as again, you know, one of the teams that has a real shot. And it's because they've, um, you know, they've trusted in in the design of the team and in the guys individually. So, um, you know, they're they're interesting. They're fun. Um, and, you know, hopefully people will get exposed to them into the later rounds of the playoffs, because I really think that as more people see this team play, they'll 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 see shades of those teams we were talking about. They'll see, you know, shades of the the Spurs Gasm era San Antonio teams. They'll see shades of of Golden State, maybe not with the crazy Steph Curry level shooting, but with just kind of like that fun, flowy offense and still a commitment to, to the defensive end of the floor, too. They're. They're really interesting, and um, you know, I, I I think they're real. I agree, man. Well, Dan, thank you so much for taking the time. Everyone, of course, go follow him. He put some really insightful stuff out. Um, have a good rest of your day, man. And to everyone listening, of course, have a good rest of your day as well.